It's good to be here this morning. It's good to have the opportunity to open the Word of God with our home church. My wife Lee and I are very grateful for the opportunity that we've had to be here for an extended period of time. Uh, We do go back to the field refreshed. Uh, We have a lot of friends here who have meant a lot to us, who have invested into our lives, and uh, we are truly thankful uh, to the Lord Jesus for that. We're grateful for your ownership of our ministry, and I use the word ownership because that's the way we feel. We feel like this church is partners, true partners with us uh, in the ministry on the other side of the world. We go there to represent you And what we're grateful for, most of all, is that while we're going there, and it is a difficult place to go, we know we're not going alone, we know God's going with us, but we also know that many of you are going with us in spirit. And that is a deep, deep encouragement to us. So we want to thank you for that, and um, just pray that you will, as the months go on, we should be back, Lord willing, in around seven or eight months uh, to see you again. Uh, But in the meantime, we appreciate your prayer. I know the moms and dads are a little nervous this morning because there is no junior church. And so there's little guys sitting here this morning, and that's not normal. Um, Please don't worry for my sake, okay? I am used to, I've, I've been preaching in China for 14 years with little children sitting right in front of me. For the whole time that I preach, I kind of enjoy that. I think kids should learn to listen to the Word of God. And the Word of God is quick and powerful. you know. And my vocabulary is about elementary anyway. So they should be able to track with me. Now, if we were Justin, that would be another story. Okay, We'd have to give him a dictionary. But shouldn't have that problem uh, with me this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 33. It's... uh, a little bit longer of a psalm, so we're, we'll have to hasten through some of the verses together, but it, it's a powerful psalm. If you're using your pew Bible, it's on page 463, Psalm 33. Now, before... We actually look at that passage together. I want to ask you a couple questions. I wonder, did you come here today hoping to experience true, heartfelt worship? Did you? Is that, is that why you came here today? So that you could experience that. Are you hoping that when you leave our corporate gathering together for worship this morning, That there's a sense in your heart of gratefulness to God for all that He is. Yes, all that He's done, all that He's doing, but all that He is. It's the end of another year. We're looking forward into 2019. Are you expecting? Are you anticipating? That your walk with the Lord, that your service to Jesus Christ will be emotionally memorable. Please think about those two words. Emotionally memorable. Do you not have 
emotional memories burned into your brain and heart that you will never, ever forget? Are you anticipating that kind of a walk with the Lord this year? Where you're going to remember some powerful, some sweet times walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, being with God's people, worshiping together with a full heart of joy and gratefulness. If that's why you're here, and if that's the way you think, then Psalm 33 should be a great encouragement to you this morning. We don't know a lot of the background of Psalm 33. A lot of the Psalms, we know the authors. We know some historical event that took place and caused David or some other psalmist to sing either praise or lament. <laughs> oh, God, help me, or, or whatever. This one, we don't know the author, although it's sandwiched between some Psalms of David. So it could be David, but God doesn't tell us. And we don't know the situation behind it. God doesn't tell us. And, you know, we often spend time here on Sunday morning looking into the historical background because it's important to us for understanding the Scripture. And yet, as you think about a psalm that has none, we ought to be thinking this way. This is a psalm that God wants every believer of every generation to be able to sing with all of their heart, whether they know the background to it or not. One thing we know about this psalm, one thing that's important about this psalm is that it's written to people who know and love the Lord. It's written to people who are seeking to please and to obey God. That's the audience of this song. But as we begin to read it, we find out that even these people, and I assume that most of you here would qualify to be those people. People who love the Lord. People who know the Lord. People who are seeking to be pleasing to Him in the way that you live out your life to be obedient to His Word. Right? That's who's here this morning. Generally speaking, I hope. But even these people needed to be exhorted, needed to be encouraged to do some things like this. Shout for joy! Give thanks! Make melody unto the Lord. Sing songs unto the Lord. Can you imagine that God's people would need to be exhorted to do this? All of the imperatives, all of the commands of this long psalm are all bunched up at the very beginning in a call to worship. Here's the command. Let's, let's read it together. Psalm 33, verses 1-3. through three. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous! Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song, playing skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. I don't know if it makes you uncomfortable or not when people shout loudly or when people sing boldly to the Lord. You're singing along, watching the words, and some person behind you is like singing their heart out. You're thinking, excuse me, we're in church. <laughs> and yet these are commands for people who love God. Let your heart express your love and your gratefulness. Let your mouth sing forth praise to the God who has done so much for us. Play skillfully. Now, that's not a command, and I'm thankful for that. But if you were here Christmas Eve, 
You heard a pianist and a violinist play skillfully to the glory and honor of God. So if you've got that ability, then include that in your life and in your worship. All of these, shouting and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, all of these are expressions of a grateful heart, a worshiping heart, a joyful heart. But how? Like, am I just supposed to make it up? Do I just, if I come here on Sunday morning or if I sit in my office in the morning or if I, wherever I am, I'm standing out on the edge of the Gulf of Mexico, do I just kind of like shout? And that means I'm grateful? Like, how do I do this? One of the things that psalmist teaches us through this psalm is that a path to a grateful heart, a path to a worshiping heart, is the path of total reliance on the Lord. The path of total dependence on God Himself. Verses 4 and 5 are part of the beginning call to worship, and they they summarize what the psalmist is going to talk about. Let's read those together, 4 and 5. For the Word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. This is a summary of what we're going to learn together from this psalm today. It basically says God's Word holds true. Like all the time, God's Word holds true. His work is dependable. You and I can count on whatever God says, whatever God does, We can count on it. He's dependable. His character is impeccable. He loves what is right, what is just, what is good. And His loving kindness, His steadfast love, His unfailing love fills the earth. The way to a grateful heart, the way to a worshiping heart is somehow connected to this two verses of the psalm and the development of it in the rest. The psalmist takes the rest of the psalm, divides it up into two main categories that will explain this truth. And then he concludes with the last three verses calling us to affirm our faith in this God. So most of our time together this morning we'll be looking at the two main sections of this psalm that help us to understand what it takes to have a grateful, worshiping, joyful heart before the Lord. Of course, the question still remains, if if I'm going to have a grateful heart, I've got to learn to be dependent on the Lord, then here's the question, how do I depend on the Lord? Like those are words like, how do I learn? This is a learning process, folks. How do I learn to depend, to rely totally and alone on the Lord? Think about our lives for a minute as Americans. The whole orientation of our life is from dependence 
to independence, is it not? Like, isn't that what parents are at least supposed to be doing? Is taking that little infant and teaching and training and nurturing so that one day they can totally depend on their parents for everything they need. No. No. So that one day they'll be independent. Isn't that what most parents are trying to do? Get their children to be able to stand up on their own two feet, get a job, pay rent, buy a house, have, get married, have children. So uh, the, uh, the whole story of our life is from dependence as an infant to independence. And as an American, we're on steroids when it comes to independence. Right? I mean, we don't even want to work together. I want to have my own business. You have your own business. You know, we'll both get rich and happy. And we're going to work, I mean, really, really independent. Well, then it's no wonder that we have a hard time learning how to be dependent. When every influence of our life, especially as Americans, is driving us toward independence. We're trained to think that we can handle anything that comes our way. Until we can't. Until cancer. Until the loss of the income. Until the death of a loved one. Then all of a sudden we can't do this ourselves. We can't pick ourselves up by bootstraps. We need help. And even as believers, we begin to think this way. You know, I don't want to bother God with the things that I can handle. I'll wait until things get really difficult, and then I'll go to God and let Him handle it. Will you think about that for a minute? Yeah, I'm sure God's too busy for us anyway, right? He doesn't want you to bother. You know, if you can handle it. So like if you're really gifted, if God's really gifted you, then you probably don't need Him. He, right? He gifted you to be able to do all this stuff, you know? You can do everything you need to do. And so until death or until cancer, you don't really need God. Here's the problem with that. This is not dependence. <laughs> this is independence. And independence doesn't lead to a grateful heart, folks. You do remember Romans chapter 1? Where the heavens lay before the people and they see the glory of God and they choose not to believe. And not to be, the Scripture says specifically, thankful, grateful. And because they're not thankful, their life spirals into unbelievable sin, uncontrollable sin, and disaster. So if we go about our lives thinking we can handle everything that we can handle until we can't, and we don't depend on God for the daily needs that we have, we will nurture an ungrateful heart. And we will never experience what this psalm was written and ascribed for all eternity for us as believers to experience. To be able to shout with joy to the Lord, it won't happen. Because our heart will be shriveled up with ungratefulness. 
So what the psalmist does for us in the two sections today is he teaches us how to rely on God. The two main divisions of the psalm answer the question with two life habits, two essential life habits. The first life habit is this. It's being consciously aware of the power of God's Word and of God's work in creation. Now, if you're taking notes, my sentences are long. So I'd rather you listen and you understand. Let me just repeat it real quickly. For us to really nurture a grateful heart, we need to be consciously aware of the power of the Word and work of God in creation. That's where the psalmist begins. Now, he's singing a new song, but he's singing a new song with old material. Because a new song isn't new material. A new song is having a new heart towards the material. Have you not sat here on some Sunday mornings, sung the hymns, walked out the door, and don't remember a thing you said? Sure. And have you not sat here on Sunday Sunday mornings, sang the songs with tears rolling down your eyes? There's the difference. That's singing a new song. That's taking the old truth and applying it to my current situation and walk with God. It's singing a new song for me. Every time I sing it, every week I sing it, it's a new song because I'm in a new circumstance with God. And so the psalmist goes back to the oldest of truths. He goes back to the book of Genesis. Does he not? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verse of your Bible is where he goes. Verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathered the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. We go to the New Testament, and the writer of Hebrews says, By faith we, too, understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke His Word, and it was. God spoke and it came to be. What the psalmist is doing here is demonstrating to us the immeasurable power of the Word and work of God. That's where we need to start. We need to look back at Scripture and look out the window at creation and be reminded of how immeasurable God's power is. You know, I don't know if you like astronomy or not, but I I love looking up at the stars. So I'm no scientist, but I do love looking up at the stars. And I do enough reading so that I know that astronomers today, with the technology that we have today, are discovering stuff that sat dormant for thousands of years in the intellect of man that we just never knew were true about our universe. And they're discovering stars and they're discovering galaxies. And, and you know, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, right? We all learned that in, I don't know, high school, elementary school. I'm not sure where we learned it, but we all learned that. We're in the Milky Way. I love that idea. 
It's a galaxy of somewhere around 100 billion planets and stars. 100 billion. And to our knowledge, we're the only one in there that has the ability to have life on it. 100 billion stars and planets and moons floating around in the Milky Way, and we are the privileged planet. You don't think so? You should follow some of the things scientists have discovered. Oh my. Our planet is placed within the Milky Way in a specific spot that allows you to go outside at night when it gets dark and see the heavens. You should try to go to Venus and do that. Or Neptune. Or Besides the fact that you'd die as soon as you get out of the thing. You'd stand on that planet, you would look up and you would see nothing. Because the atmospheres of all those planets would block your view from seeing the universe. But our atmosphere that keeps us alive and only us alive is invisible. <laughs> Why is it invisible? Why isn't it like all the other ones? Because God wants us to go outside. And He has given us the best platform in the universe to look up where the heavens declare the glory of God. What an unbelievable privilege and opportunity we have. So let me ask you, when's the last time you did it? Seriously. When is the last time you took time out of your very hectic schedule to be still and know that He is God? On my phone, I have some of the most powerful, most beautiful, most colorful sunsets on the planet. And I got those pictures right here in Naples, Florida. When's the last time you took time at sunset to go down and stand on the sand and watch the glory of God and shout for joy Sing praises. Make melody in your heart. For God has allowed this. It could be black. Every food you taste could be bitter. Every sound you hear could be a screech. But it isn't. Because our God has filled the earth with His loving kindness. We are surrounded by a God of love who expresses His love in a myriad of different ways. For us! A privileged people on a privileged planet. And yet we neglect and forsake this gift so often that God has given us. God's Word, its power is immeasurable. Then He goes on in verse 7. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. So we go from creating billions of stars in our galaxy, and from what they say, there's probably billions of galaxies. I I can't even go there. I can't even go there in my mind. And there's like one space of 10,000 
billion light years of empty space before you get to the next one. And it's just like, what? And then he comes to earth and he says, and look what God did in creation. He gathered the waters. You remember, the, the, the globe was covered in water. And the Scripture tells us, and God made... Whoops, skip that one. Ah, let me back up just for a second. I'm sorry. Of all those billions of stars, God determines the number of the stars. We can't number them. But God has determined the number of the stars. He gives all of them names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Immeasurable power of God's Word. But God also said in Genesis, the creation account where this psalmist goes back again, and God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. God spoke. And this globe covered in water. Now think about this. This is what I was thinking about this week. God separated the water, brought the land, raised some up, sunk some down. Some of the oceans are more than a mile deep. Whoa! Can you imagine being on an island that's about 100 foot tall, and next to the island, the ocean goes down a mile? It wouldn't take too much for that island to disappear, would it? There's enough water on our planet to totally submerge our globe. Why doesn't it? Because the psalmist said he gathers them like a heap, like a heap of dirt. He piles them up. He puts them down in deep storehouses and he holds them there. Jeremiah said, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that cannot be passed. I don't know about you. I'm a builder by trade. If I was going to put a barrier between the ocean and me, it would be concrete, rebar, and I'm not quite sure what else I would think of, but it would be thick and tall and strong and deep. And God said, do you not fear me? I put the sand as the border for a mile deep ocean, and the ocean cannot cross over that sand unless I say so. I live in China most of the time. China is an atheistic place, so the leaders kind of think they're God, right? What, else, what other choice do you have? If there is no God and you're in charge? So they're, they're, they're at work at some of the largest projects on earth, right? We've got the longest bridge. We've got the longest tunnel. We got the, they're working on the tallest building. We've got the largest dam. We've got the, you know, all the, uh, not Ripley, believe it or not, but the other book there, they're going to get a record on all of those because they're the biggest, the greatest, the grandest. Well, they're working on a project now to gather the waters. I think it's kind of humorous when you think about this text of Scripture where God gathers the waters. He separates the waters. He puts them in their place. He holds them in their place. Well, now China's going to do that because they need water up north and they have water down south. So they're building a 50-year project to move 44 million cubic meters of water a year from the south to the north. It's going to take them 50 years. Unbelievable amount of cement, rebar, and labor so that they can move 44 billion 
cubic meters of water from south to north. And we think, wow! Until we realize that on our earth exists 1,300 plus billion cubic, not meters, kilometers. Okay, so not square yard, not cubic yards, cubic miles of water. And it didn't take God 50 years, didn't take God millions of hours of labor. It took one word to separate and hold all the waters of the earth in their place. And he sprinkled sand around the edge and said, you will not go any further than that line unless I say so. That's your God. Does not knowing that about God bring a gratefulness that God would have? The the psalmist said somewhere else, when I consider the heavens, the works of your, your hands, why do you even think about me? Why do you even consider man? We're we're nothing. But the Word of God tells us all of this was made for us. For us to look at, for us to enjoy, and for us to respond with a joyful heart of thankfulness to the glory and greatness of our God who has created it. God's power. The power of His words immeasurable. And it's incomparable. The Chinese can try to duplicate it. They won't even come close to duplicating the power of His work and His Word. So Christian, to develop a grateful heart, a worshiping heart, a joyful heart, you must be consciously aware. You have to make it a habit of your life to be consciously... You know what that word means, right? If I go unconscious, everything gets real quiet. But if I'm conscious, you have to put up with this. Okay? That's just the way it is. You have to be conscious. You have to be awake to the truth about who God is, about the power of His Word, the power of what He does. And when you are, you will begin to develop a grateful heart to God that will fill your soul with joy. Verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. That's the response we should have when we think about who God is, when we think about what He has done, and when we think that He even cares about us at all. We should fall to our knees in awe at the privilege of being called His children. Listen, until we do, until we recognize. This is where the psalmist started. This is not only where the psalmist started, but this is where the psalmist started. Until we recognize the power of the Word of God in creation, we will not humble ourselves and realize how dependent we are for the very breath that we breathe every time we breathe. The Apostle Paul takes this same truth about creation and applies it to our salvation. For God who said, we're in 2 Corinthians, for God who said, he's going back to Genesis, 
Let light shine out of darkness and out of nowhere comes light. That God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are here today as a believer in Christ because God shone the light of the knowledge of His Son into your heart. That's why you're here. That should be enough to cause you to rejoice. That should be enough to nurture a grateful heart. And if it does not, we can't possibly trust that God could possibly be involved in our daily life if we don't believe He created. If you're sitting here with a scientific mind took millions and billions of years and there might have been a God involved in it somehow, if God didn't do what God says He did, the way He said He did it, then there is no hope that He's going to get involved in your dinky life. Got news for you. It's not going to happen. But if He did do what He said He did, and He did it for the purpose He said He did, then you have every confidence that He cares about every move and every action of your life. And you will learn to rely on Him because He is able to carry you through what can often be difficult challenges through life. So one of the life habits that you and I need to develop is the habit of being conscious. (laughs) Conscious of the power of the Word and work of God in creation. So if you're not doing anything at sunset, my wife and I will be at Lotter Milk Park tonight rejoicing in our heart at the glory of God as the sun sets. We'd love for you to join us. Seriously, folks, I hope you take time to do what God has put us here to do, and that's to observe His handiwork and bring glory to His name. The next section of the psalm deals with another life habit for us. How do we learn to rely totally on the Lord? Well, being conscious of the power of His Word and creation. But we need to make it a life habit to be consciously aware of the power of God's work and Word in history. You see, God didn't create the universe and then go somewhere else to do something bigger. Like, that's what a lot of people... Yeah, well, maybe there was a Creator... He might have created, but certainly he left shortly thereafter and he must be doing another project in some other universe somewhere. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. God has been intimately involved in history, which he started. Right? He's eternal. He started time for us. History is his story. You realize that? If you're a history buff here, don't leave out God. Because history is his story story. And we need to be consciously aware of His power through that story. And so the psalmist continues and kind of divides it up, verses 10 through 19, in three three basic sections. Let's begin to look at them. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. God has been 
and continues to be at work among the world's nations. That's what the psalmist is saying. God has been in the past and continues to be in the present powerfully at work among the world's nations. Because it's the Lord who brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates their plans. Well, why would He do that? Well, that's not very pleasant. Like, why would God do such a thing? I mean, if maybe it's because God's people ignore Him. The schemes of the nations are often against God, are they not? Oh, not our great nation, of course, but every other nation on the planet. Aren't they really against God? I mean, let's think through biblical history for a minute. Let's go to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Was he for or against? Yeah, he was against. Nebuchadnezzar, for or against? Belshazzar, for or against? You could go through the list of great nations and great empires and you wouldn't put four in front of any of them. They are actually against the Lord. It seems absurd, but this is what Daniel said to Belshazzar. He's referring back to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar got to the point where he got so big he thought he was God. Look at what I've done. Wow, awesome. Next thing you know, he's on all fours eating grass for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he was going to be doing that until he came to this point in his life. Until he recognized that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom He will. So Daniel's using the example of Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar and his life and Belshazzar knew of the story and he's going, look, you're, you're, you're on shaky ground here. You're starting to act like Grandpa because you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. The God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all of your ways you have not honored. So guess what? Whoops. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. You remember the story? We get, we get the, the, the slang, the writings on the wall. You remember that creepy story in the Bible where there's a finger writing into the concrete? This is what he wrote. This is what God wrote. I've numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. In an instant, his kingdom was over. You have been weighed in the balances, Belshazzar, and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And the psalmist tells us in another place, why? Or ask the question, why? Why why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. I think when we talk about nations sometimes, it's a little too impersonal. Right? I mean, we're so individualistic as Americans. You talk about nations like God, nations. What are you talking about? It's like me and God. But from the beginning of history until the end of history, God's dealing with the nations, controlling the nations, sovereignly controlling over the nations. And yet the nations continue to strike out against the Lord and against His Christ. 
Here's the perfect example in the Scriptures of how this all unfolded in the first century. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, the Christ. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, this combination of nations gathered together to crucify Jesus Christ, to eliminate Him from history, fueled by the power of Satan to do so. And look what happened. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The nations can rage all they want. They rage in vain. Because God controls history. It's His story. Not China. Not Iran. Not North Korea. Not Russia. Not any empire can halt what God is doing in His plan. I want to take you back to our Scripture reading very rapidly. And I want to emphasize what Paul talks about when he thinks about God's eternal amazing plan throughout history. He says this, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. He made known to us of His will according to His purpose in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things together in Christ. Predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of of His will. Do you hear what Paul's doing? Paul's taking Psalm 33 and expanding it for us as Christians. Yes, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples because the counsel of the Lord stands forever. God's plan is from before history. Nothing in history can change His eternal plan. It's an amazing Amazing truth for us to get a hold of as Christians. What a comfort to know even if the nuclear missiles get launched. No nation can get in the way of God's eternal plan. No one. So where's your trust this morning? In America? in God. God has been, always has, always will be at work among the nations. But then it narrows down a little bit in verse 12. God has been and continues to be at work through those He chooses as His own. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. Now, obviously, the immediate context is Israel. God chose Israel. But why did God choose Israel? So that Israel would bring the light of the truth to every nation. And sure enough, salvation is of the Jews, Jesus said. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. They are God's chosen. And they have opened up salvation to every nation. 
So the broader application is all the people that He has chosen to be His heritage are blessed. Now let's go back to our reading in in Ephesians again. It started out, Blessed be the God who has blessed us. Us. He chose us that we should be holy. In Him we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. We who were the first to hope in Christ. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, believed in Him. And you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do you hear those words I underlined? This amazing eternal plan from the councils of eternity. The plan of salvation is for me and you. It's for us. It's ours. Everything that God has done is for us as His children, as His heritage, as His people. That ought to bring gratefulness in your heart. Why me? Why, Lord? Why me? He moves on and spreads it even more intimately. We go from the nations of the world to His chosen people of whom we're called a holy nation in Peter. Believers are called a holy nation. Down to every individual on the planet. Will you listen to verses 13-15? through 15? The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. God is pictured as the King of the universe. Sitting on His throne from a place where He can view everything that's going on in His creation. And since He created every person in this room, He knows your heart like you don't even know your heart. And He observes your thoughts and your intentions. Every last one of them. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, that is good news. Because that should bring a rejoicing Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving such a kingdom that is unshakable. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. That's what it does to believers' hearts. But if you're an unbeliever here this morning, and I don't know you, God does, the Lord sees not as man sees. You, you can fake out a lot of people with the way you live, the way you talk, what you do. But man looks on the outward appearance and that's the best we can do. But God looks on the heart. And let me read a verse to you. This is the only real application I'm going to make this morning to you if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The New Testament writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12 says this. The Word of God, this powerful Word that we've been discussing this morning, is alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid naked before the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. 
Now, if you don't know God, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are sitting here naked before God. Your thoughts, your intents, your actions are visibly seen by the King of the universe. He observes them all. And you will answer to Him for them all if you don't let Christ answer for them with His death on the cross. Jesus Christ answered all of those for me. Because at 20 years old, I bowed the knee and humbled myself before God, recognized I was a sinner, and trusted Christ as my Savior. He took them all on the cross. If you think you can bear them before the presence of God, I've got news for you. You are in for a scary future. Now back to believers. This is an encouraging psalm. Believer. God wants your heart to leave here this morning and to reach out into 2019 with habits that will develop a grateful heart of worship to our great God. God continues to be involved at work in our lives, protecting us, helping us. Look at verses 16 through 19. The king is not saved by his great army. The warrior, the giant, is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by it, its great might, it cannot rescue. I don't think anybody here is looking towards the army or looking towards military weapons to help them. Or, or are we? Or are you secure this morning that we have the greatest military on the earth? Does that make you feel secure? Because in a moment's notice, God can erase it all. And not one of those instruments will work. In a moment. In the breath of His mouth. Where is your trust? He wants it to be in the Lord. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. The favor of God, that God's eye would be on you, does that, is that not insane? That God's favor would be on you because you fear Him and you Hope in His steadfast love. His unfailing love towards you. There isn't an army on the planet that can give you that kind of protection. That a simple glance from a loving God provides for you every moment of your life. That's what we're being called to. We're being called to make new habits, life habits, as we enter into 2019. Simple ones. To be able to consciously be aware of the power of God's Word and His work in creation. Take time to observe. And to be consciously aware 
that from the beginning of time until the end of time, God is working through nations, through His chosen, and He is even observing all the rest. And will call every one of them into account on the day of judgment. And so the psalm ends with the leader of the song leading the congregation in an affirmation of their faith. This is what we believe. This is where my faith is stable. It's in the Lord. And so he says, our soul waits for the Lord in verse 20. For He is our help and our shield. I want to leave you with the three things that the the psalmist leaves us with this morning. We wait on the Lord as believers. It means our whole soul, all of our being, not, not the hard days, not when I can't handle it anymore. Our whole soul is resting and waiting on a God whose timing is not the same as our timing, but whose timing is always perfect. And so we wait and we hope because we know He loves us. And we rejoice in Him for our heart is glad in God because we trust in His holy name. What does that mean? We trust. What does name mean? His name in Scripture means His power and His character. He has immeasurable, incomparable power and impeccable character. And we trust in that. That is where our trust is. And because of that, our heart is able to rejoice. We have the joy that accompanies believing that's spoken about so many times in the Scripture. And the last thing the psalmist does is as we pray to him. And he turns his focus to prayer. The very last sentence of this psalm is a prayer that the leader is leading the congregation in. And this is the prayer. God, let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in You. Let Your love be on us even as we hope in You. If our hope, if your hope, remains firm in Him, you have no fear that He will fail to pour out His love through His Holy Spirit that He has given to each one of us. So, total reliance on God is the path to a grateful, a worshiping heart. May this be the path you and I take in 2019. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are, for what you do. Thank you for the power of your word and your work in creation and in history. And God, thank you for your power at work in our lives, bringing us from darkness into light that we might know you personally. Go with us. Help us to rejoice. 
Help us to nurture a grateful heart of praise and worship to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.